Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to the Gig Impressing Podcast. My name is Steph Minkowski and today I'm joined by Matt Ford and not Manu Vett. Manu is currently flying uh, high over Iceland right now. That's not uh, a euthanism or a was <laughs> Quite literally the case. He's a careful, safe cruising altitude um, on his way back to North America. Um, Matt, we did discuss trying to get him on the show and record this while on his flight. He does have internet, he's capable of WhatsApping us, so he's still pestering us through the show, but I think we agreed that um, him talking about the Bundesliga for four to five minutes with people sitting either side of him on the plane was probably not that fair. Oh, I, I don't know. I, mean, I can imagine that the other Lufthansa passengers are probably desperate to hear what Manu's thoughts are uh, on the on, on his Bundesliga weekend, but... Oh well, they'll have to. Uh, they'll just have to tune into this afterwards, won't they? Yeah, I mean, if they're on a Lufthansa flight from Frankfurt to America, uh, chances are they probably know who Manu is, and they probably can't follow German football anyway. So they might appreciate it. But yeah, uh, we decided against it. It's just me and you today, uh, and we've got a lot to talk about. Obviously, um, we had the kind of very initial raw reaction uh, mini uh, show from yourself, Manu, and Seb Stafford Bloor. Uh, deeps in the depths of the Westfalen Stadion. Um, really enjoyable listen. Uh, I can appreciate how hard it must have been as you guys were kind of veering out of the way of uh, fire engines, it would seem. Veering um, out of the way of fire engines. And also, I think I, I had to listen to it back as well because, with all due respect, I, I missed half of what uh, Seb was, um, was saying. Not because I didn't want to hear, but because I was literally sprinting back and forth trying to um yeah get hold of the various press officers to somehow try and get hold of uh Diogo Pomacano for me which they eventually did it, it actually came off in the end uh, I managed to speak to him uh, so it, it did work but it meant that uh, I kept having to run away and leave uh, leave Seb talking to Manu so I had to listen to it back to hear what he actually said so uh, yeah and it, it was worth it it was a good it, it was a, it was enjoyable yeah and of course, Manu is obviously a freakishly tall man, so it's hard at the best of times to speak to him and hear what either of us are saying <laughs> uh, in a crowded, busy place. Um, but we'll dive all into that, and you know, we'll get the reaction, uh, get Matt, uh, Matt's opinions, obviously, for being in the stadium, speaking to players afterwards, and we'll also touch on some other games this weekend as well, uh, right after this break. The last of the major sports leagues is off and rolling, and college basketball is ready to go as well. Bet Online remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL are all in full swing. Bet Online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the hoops betting action, along with every sport available at your fingertips, with both desktop and mobile access at any time. Head to Bet Online today and remember to use our promo code Believe B L E A V for your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Matt, before we get into the result and maybe break down the you know the tactics and the reaction from the players and coaches, I want to ask you specifically your opinion of what it was like being at the stadium. You know, it's very easy for us to talk about, and everyone who watched the game obviously saw what happened on the pitch. But what was your opinion off the pitch in terms of how the fans were? Manu mentioned how after that second goal went in the stadium went very quiet did it feel like a tense atmosphere to you did it feel like you know did it think do you think the fans maybe impacted on how Dortmund played in that game or I mean you obviously go to the stadium quite a lot so I'm really interested in what you thought the fans made of the night yeah those those two early goals were very much like a like a bucket of cold water being being thrown um yeah all over all over Rusty Dortmund's team fans coaching staff um the whole lot um, there's actually quite a maybe not maybe not euphoria maybe not too far but there's certainly a, a positive atmosphere before the game I was at the ground um, 
very early, earlier than usual even. And um and I do always try and get there early because I try and I try and pop behind the the yellow wall of the Sud Tribune where I know quite a few people, so I, I like to try and just you know spend half an hour having a having a chat with some of the hardcore supporters. You know, finding out what what they're all thinking, what the atmosphere's like, hear about the latest away trips, what's gone on, um, and you, I think you get a good impression of uh, of how the club is ticking and what the general you know the, the feeling is on the ground. So there's a lot of talk going on about uh, Newcastle away, so everyone had stories to tell about that, and obviously that was. As we said before, one of um, well, Dortmund's best performance of the season, um, and as a result of that, uh, the whole the whole club, uh, from team to fan base, uh, and I think even to the media landscape around the club, had, had come back from uh, from Newcastle, really uh, on a on a high. Um, you know, the three three draw at Frankfurt was interpreted as a continuation of that. You know, if anything, perhaps a, a point gained rather than two lost. Certainly. Given it was away from home, and you know Frankfurt are shown again this weekend how how good a team they are. Um, so the atmosphere was uh, w- w- was positive. Um, there was a sense that everyone was very much behind uh, Edin Terzic, who's a extremely you know, he remains a very popular figure uh, at the club, um, and yeah, a sense of a team on the up and that they can um, yeah, given that they were unbeaten in the Bundesliga since the last game against Bayern Munich, and um, that they could do something today, and obviously that. Um, that changed changed very quickly. Um, um, it, it, you could see the frustration on Edin Terzic's face uh, after the first goal, and he, he, it did sort of permeate all the way through the stadium. This just collective unspoken feeling of here we go again, and it was I mean, such an unnecessary goal to concede as well, wasn't it? I mean, you can concede goals against Bayern Munich in all sorts of manners, but effectively a free header from a corner in the third minute. Surely not, um, and that uh, very much, very much set the tone for the rest of the evening. Yeah, it was really interesting because in the preview match, uh, sorry, the preview podcast, Manu and I did, we did talk about the way that Terzic seems more comfortable playing with this team, which is, you know, maybe a little more defensive. I keep using the word defensive and pragmatic, but it's almost like they like to keep the ball. They like to try and, um, you know work it into the opposing box rather than this kind of, you know, gung-ho, gig-impressing style of football. And I did kind of wonder on that show whether playing at home in this big fixture, um, the fans will almost demand that, you know, they throw caution to the wind and really have a go at it, which, you know, you see that in just about any major club, you know, um, Obviously, here in Scotland, we see that a lot with Celtic and Rangers, where when they're playing at, at home in Europe, they really should be playing defensively against better teams, but the fans demand better. Uh, we saw that with Galatasaray recently against Bayern Munich, where you know maybe a more composed performance would have probably allowed them to win that game, but you know the fans demanded um, you know full pelt for the full hour. Uh, maybe you can even see the same at Manchester United recently, Matt, where you know the fans expect Man United to dominate, where they maybe have to be a bit more pragmatic these days with the players and the coach they got and I do kind of wonder if that was the case here where you know as as what well, I was reading Eden Terzic's post-match comments to Sky and he was saying you know we gave the ball away every four or five passes uh, every four or five seconds we lost the ball we were constantly having to defend counter-attacks we couldn't keep the ball and I was struck in that kind of opening 20 minutes by just how high Dortmund were playing against Bayern and how often they were just kind of turned over and left chasing their own goal mouths. Um, you know, most of, most evidently through that second goal where Bayern were given the kind of space to just kind of run right through them from a counter-attack. Do you think um, the fact that they're playing at home in front of their own fans maybe influenced that a bit? And, you know, it, it, it almost kind of goaded the, the team to push up and really have a go at Bayern where, you know, if it was the opposite fixture or it was a Champions League game, they would have probably been sitting much further deeper and maybe have been able to make it harder for Bayern to break them down. And perhaps, but I mean, I disagree slightly in that Dortmund even even did that. I think it might have benefited them had they taken that approach and been more um, been been more determined with that sort of approach. Um, and except the game, the, the game I saw, I, I, I don't think if Dortmund were influenced or carried along by expectation from the 
from from an expectant home crowd to to attack in a more reckless way. Well, I mean, I I, I think from a Dortmund point of view, uh, the, fan, the fans would probably say, well, we we wish they had done, because it, it certainly didn't seem like that. I thought they seemed extremely slow, uh, extremely lethargic, um, scared in possession, um, which led to sloppiness, uh, particularly in the build up to the to the second goal where where Bayern were then um, able to break, uh, and that 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 lack of pace in the middle was ruthlessly um, exposed. So yeah, I, I sort of wonder if um, if a little bit more of that ruthless and yeah ruthless bite from a Dortmund point of view would actually have done them a lot better um, thought it was quite telling um, that I mean and it has been it's been mentioned quite a lot because it was caught on camera the fact that uh, Schlotterbeck and Upamecano were sharing a bit of a, a smile and a joke beforehand maybe it suggested that Dortmund were going into this game actually too complacently um, yeah. um, to maybe having believed their own hype too much that they are unbeaten and on a level pegging with with Bayern and um, yeah I don't I mean I don't think it's a particularly good look obviously we don't know the full story of what's gone on there but it's not a good look to be uh, you know sort of smiling at and choking around at the at the first corner when you're meant to be marking someone yeah. um, and particularly when the goal then goes in so it's not a good look um, so I sort of yeah I, I I suspect that had uh, had Borussia Dortmund taken the more gung ho Galatasaray against Bayern approach, um, and it, it might have done them, um, it might have done them, done, done them good, but yeah, they they didn't and um, paid the price. Well, you said you had got a chance to speak to McKenna after the game. Did you get a moment to ask him what Schlotterbeck might have said to him at that point? I did, yeah, and it's, um, it's done the rounds quite a bit. Um, he just said that Schlotterbeck spoke to him and said, "How are you doing?" Well, you all right? And Pomacana said he replied, "Yeah, fine. How are you?" And then, uh, then the corner came in and he bombed past him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it seems a bit. It, it seems strange to me. I don't, I'm not sure why you would even engage in that sort of exchange. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if, if the two know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just seemed odd to me. I mean, I, again, it's not necessarily a valid comparison but if I'm if I'm marking someone at a corner on a Monday night I, I, I don't really sort of say hello to them no. um, yeah it, it, I, I, don't, I don't know I'm not a professional footballer no it's it's a fair point it's, it is one of those little kind of moments in a game where like you said if nothing had come of that corner people wouldn't have noticed it really and now that they mm-hmm. have we go back and I guess retrospectively kind of take note of it um yeah, I thought it was a really fascinating game in that sense, and you're absolutely right in terms of Dortmund. It it felt to me more so than you know. There's that old argument: you know, we're buying brilliant, or we're Dortmund poor. And I think for the most part, um, without taking anything away from the Bayern performance, it felt to me like Dortmund did kind of implode a little bit. Um, and you know, I thought there's maybe an interesting comparison to the way that Bayern played Leverkusen at the start of the season, where. You know, they go ahead from very similar circumstances, really, where Harry Kane knocks in a free header at the back post and immediately everyone thinks, right, here come Bayern, they're going to burst the Leverkusen bubble uh, and they're going to impose themselves. And it felt to me like the difference between Bayern, or sorry, Leverkusen that day and Dortmund on Saturday was that Leverkusen were able to kind of re... um, You know, they were able to kind of reimpose themselves on this game they were able to still kind of fall back on some strong tactics they were well drilled they knew how to play their game and despite going to go behind to Bayern they just slowly but surely just got back to doing what they could do best and I think Dortmund just didn't really ever seem capable of doing that in this game there was even a point I think in the second half where you know I think Adeyemi comes on and for about 60 or 90 seconds there's no one playing left wing because no one knows where they're supposed to be playing and I think you see Marco Royce kind of barking orders to get someone to move over to the left um, and and it obviously Terzic changes his entire formation in the second half to try and accommodate for the fact that Bayern keep pushing through the middle of the park and it's it's these little kind of you know incremental things that obviously get exposed so you know ruthlessly when you know two teams at the top of the game play each other we see this in the Champions League all the time where you know a semi-final tie can be defined by 
you know, just a moment in time really between a, a super excellent player and just a very good player. And that felt like what was happening across the pitch in this game. You know, I feel like Dorbin's season to date has got a lot going for it. You know, it's easy to forget that despite losing to Bayern and dropping two points to Frankfurt, they're still actually two points better off now than they were last season. And, you know, we talked about unbeaten run and we've given Dortmund a lot of credit for the way that they have, you know, in my opinion, gotten more out of the squad that you than you would probably expect. You know, you look at that back line, it's full of kind of, in my opinion, quite average players. Uh, even the ones who are maybe highly touted, such as Slaughterbeck, are still, in my opinion, very much a work in progress. He's not the finished article by any means. Um, and... You know, I think maybe that works from week to week, but then obviously when they come up against a team like Bayern, um, those small cracks maybe get more exposed. And yes, they were missing big players. You know, maybe Emery Chan and Nemcha in midfield makes a completely different or offers something completely different to Dortmund if if you know that's their starting midfield rather than Sabisa and Ozchan. Um but it just felt like a game in which Bayern were able to kind of sucker punch them the same way that they did to Leverkusen but unlike Leverkusen who maybe man for man have a better start in 11 and have a player like Florian Wurz who just doesn't seem to get phased by these big moments unlike maybe some of Dortmund's players um, Dortmund just kind of seemed to kind of seed into themselves throughout this match and despite Terza trying to shake things up at half time and make substitutions it didn't feel like they ever got to play their style of football against Bayern I totally agree with the Leverkusen comparison. I think that's um, yeah, I think that's absolutely bang on. Um, and Leverkusen, we'll get on to Leverkusen later when we talk about their game. But they they, they showed again how they um, yeah how how they deal with setbacks um, and how they also have a clear, um, well drilled attacking uh, identity and a set of attacking offensive tactics which they can yeah, which they well they don't fall back on. They simply continue doing it because they. They know exactly what they're doing, and this again brings us back to some of the issues which were raised regarding uh, Borussia Dortmund under Edin Terzic last season, yeah. um, where there were accusations and suggestions that you know the that 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 final difference maker in the final third, you know that that clear attacking philosophy, you know, that, and that is what separates the best from the rest. Um, defending in football is easier than attacking, but um, do you have these you know the the, the well drilled patterns running into pre-prepared spaces um in order to drag defenders out of um out of position but in a in a pre-drilled way because that's part of your attacking philosophy that that's the hard, i would say that's the hardest thing to coach in 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 modern football and it's the coaches who who demonstrate that attacking philosophy across across europe and globally who who uh, who who stand out who stand out from those who don't um, and yeah that that yeah those suggestions were raised surrounding tears this last season um, I think he's maybe taken himself out of the firing line on that uh, on that count this season by by focusing more on having a stable a very stable defence um, and the series of one nil uh, and nil nil um, yeah results that, that they've had this season I think is testimony to that. Um, however, it remains the case that this Dortmund squad is I think yeah play, player for player. Uh, Certainly, uh, yeah, not on the level of Bayer Leverkusen starting eleven. I think I'd probably agree with that. Certainly not on the on the level of Bayern Munich starting eleven, and also certainly not comparable to the quality of Dortmund starting elevens in previous seasons when they've had Haaland, Bellingham, Sancho, yeah. and the like. And even with those players in the team, they didn't. They, they never actually won the. Or they never actually won the league. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it. it I think it all served to you know, come back to that that analogy with the, the the bucket of cold water on the head, maybe just to bring Dortmund down to earth a little bit, just to remind them of where they stand as a club, where they stand as a squad, where Edin Terzic stands as a coach. I think he's, I think he, yeah, I, I've been the first to suggest the the progress he's been making this season. I think it's actually really fascinating to to watch the progress he's making as a coach and you know, making these steps because he's a re- still a relatively young coach in, in, comparatively speaking but yeah this uh, that result on, on, on Saturday certainly certainly showed uh, yeah brought certainly brought them back down to earth but um, I think even despite all that let's not take anything away from from Bayern um, I think that would be remiss to, to, to ignore that they were extremely extremely good um, their best performance of the season. They were ruthless. They were 
um, well-drilled. Terzic said himself that they couldn't cope with Bayern's pace and, more importantly, accuracy of passing. Barely a pass <laughs> when's a miss. Yeah. Um, the way I think Seb mentioned it when we were talking in the in the, in the the mix zone afterwards, the, the, the chaos that Harry Kane causes by dropping into the positions that he does, uh, sometimes as far back as halfway into his own half, and then yeah, you did that in the first minute in the build up to the to the corner that we were talking about. It comes from Harry Kane doing that. He drops deep, controls the ball, and plays in Musiala. And it, it's it's precisely that sort of um, levering Dortmund's defense out of position, which creates that. He, he, and Terzic said before the game that they were going to try and um, deal with Kane collectively rather than man marking him. Didn't work. I mean, I'm not sure what the answer is to it. Kane's absolutely unplayable in that far. Levi Sané, I mean, I know he's been on fire all season, but it, that was outstanding on Saturday. An absolute joy to watch. He was fantastic from start to finish, and he's popping up left and right and all over the place. Um, for Konrad Leimer and Leon Goretzka in centre-mid, for a centre-mid partnership, which I don't think had actually started a game together before, they were fantastic. And leagues above what Solios Chan and Marcel Sabitzer had to offer. Um, yeah, you can mention maybe would Emre Chan have made a difference? Not in terms of pace, no. Maybe in terms of experience and positioning, maybe. Um, perhaps there was actually a, a shout to have started Felix Metcher. Um, in 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 hindsight, certainly brings slightly more Bellingham-ish qualities, if I can put it that way. Again, that's not me saying that Felix Metcher is the next Jude Bellingham. Absolutely not. But um, certainly has a more sim- more comparable style of play, slightly more. Um, dynamic and a bit more pace in, in midfield, perhaps that would have helped. Um, but yeah, um, turned us away from Bayern, and I think the reactions from the Bayern camp, and especially Thomas Tuchel, uh, surrounding the game, I think showed it all. Showed how much anger was um, was w- w- was yeah was was in the Bayern squad. Um, and I think yeah, if you don't mind me going into it a little bit, it's actually been it's actually quite dramatic. I'm not sure to what extent people outside Germany maybe picked up on Thomas Tuchel's interviews uh, pre-match and post-match because he, he he behaved very differently with the German media and with German Sky than he did with some of the English language broadcasters. Um, and this all started in the week, obviously caused, I think, legitimately perhaps by the defeat to Saarbrücken in the week, obviously. And Thomas Tuchel has made no bones by said there's no excuse for that. I mean, he, he, he totally expects and accepts criticism when they get knocked out by a Division Three team. Absolutely fine. Um, however, he, he he took he took issue in particular with comments from Lothar Mateus and uh, Dietmar Hamann, as we former Bayern players themselves, um, who said worse the effect that they they they, uh, they don't see any further development in this Bayern team under Thomas Tuchel, and uh, he sort of laughed it off in the pre-match press conference on Thursday or Friday, whenever it was. And it, it seemed like a bit of a joke, nothing more, when he was said no no further development and he responded, oh, well, I don't see any further development from them either and just laughed it off. And it was like, I think, I, I thought as well at the time, well, no more than that. That's just a joke. Fair play. Good little good little counter. But then pre-match on the pitch in Dortmund, he was doing his pre-match interviews to Sky where he kept referring to it and he said, well, why don't you ask the experts? Um, I, 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 don't want to, I don't want to interrupt you when you're talking to your experts because they know. And he was like, okay, this has clearly wound him up. And then even post-match, uh, well, obviously having won 4-0, he, uh, he feels completely vindicated. And um, yeah, he's, he was doing an interview with Lothar Mateus saying, well, go on, tell me about the further development and keep discussing it. And then he went into, went into the press conference and in the press conferences in Germany, they, the coaches start their press conference by giving a, a quick statement, about a minute or two of a monologue just describing the game. And Tuchel basically said, um, can I quote the experts? Uh, he said, for a team with no further development and with a bad relationship between coach and uh, coach and squad, that was okay, wasn't it? And uh, I'll leave the rest to the experts. Over to you, uh, Edin Terzic. And he <laughs> just, just left it at that. So he was clearly wound up and he repeated it on six or seven occasions. Um, so, yeah, just a bit, maybe a bit of an insight into the yeah, in, into the mentality in the, in the Bayern dressing room this week. They were clearly uh, angry and up for it and yeah that's a, a dangerous combination clearly yeah I think I think you know obviously Tuchel has a right to respond to those things but I think it also maybe shows 
you know, you're almost like the lady doth protest too much sort of thing where, you know, he, it's almost, you can tell that they've obviously hit a nerve there or he's obviously feeling very quite vulnerable going into the game because there's a big story as well in German, uh, in Germany ahead of the game, I think it was Kerry Howe reporting that, you know, players are kind of disenfranchised by Tuchel. Many of the first team players don't talk to him. They don't find out they're starting. Um, he doesn't tell them that they're starting. It's other members of the club that speak to the players on his behalf. And the, there was this kind of hierarchy and he, he's got his favourites and things like that. Add to that, as you mentioned, the pundits kind of uh, blowing a lot of hot air around the place. And, you know, you can understand why, A, why Tuchel would be under pressure because, you know, I think there's a lot of Bayern fans who do seriously question whether the club have progressed in terms of player performances and, uh, you know, the development. I think there's one or two outstanding, um, you know, uh, isolated figures who who are different from that. For example, Leroy Sani has obviously come on leaps and bounds uh, since Tuchel arrived at the club. That's not specific to Tuchel, of course, but he hasn't gone the way of his development, of course. Harry Kane started very well, for example, too, but to lose a cup game and then go into the Der Classic or I think just about any Bayern manager would probably be under pressure to make sure they won that game because, you know, one defeat in, in Munich is a problem but two defeats in a row is just a downright disaster. That's just the way the Bayern Munich are, really. And, yeah, I would be surprised if Tuchel did go into that game thinking, I really need to get a result here or else, you know, I'll be feeling the heat. Um, but then, of course, there's that's one aspect. But also other aspect is probably Tuchel who could probably rightfully say, look, maybe a bit like Terzic is, I'm working with a squad here that has obvious holes in it, has obvious flaws. We didn't get players in the positions that needed filled in the summer. Not entirely sure whose fault that is, maybe Tuchel's fault in particular as well, if he took a more hands-on approach to the transfer policies, but, you know, there's been that issue with number six, right back, um, and maybe even goalkeeper going forward um, that just weren't dealt with at all in the summer. So I can understand Tuchel's concerns there and maybe he would argue that you know he's doing the best that he can with the players that he's got and yeah he certainly did that I want to kind of hone in actually on that midfield because I feel like that's such a fascinating kind of um you know consequence of this this game and that performance Harry Kane absolute outstanding and especially in that second half every time he picked up the ball in that pocket you kind of if you're a Dortmund fan you, you just kind of hold your breath because you know something's about to happen he's about to set someone off to score a goal um, Leroy Sani, in my opinion, is slowly beginning to elevate himself to the level of a, you know, a Ribery or a Robin. And I'm not saying in terms of his legacy or that he's already at that level. I mean, in the sense that the way that Barn used to rely on those players, they could throw the ball out wide to them and they would know that they would consistently do something with it. That's the kind of form that Sani has been in for the last kind of six months or so. But that midfield, I feel, was the real kind of. You know, it, it felt to me like the real kind of engine of how Bayern were able to dominate Dortmund. And, you know, because because if Bayern have a striker like Harry Kane who can just drop in and become the de facto playmaker, it means they can just have Leimer and Goretzka just being the runners all day, every day. The two of them are just quite happy being number eights, box-to-box players. And... I don't think it was a coincidence that we saw maybe Goretzka's best performance of the season, in my opinion. I'm struggling to remember one like it in, in, in 2023 in general. And it was exactly what you want to see from Goretzka, where he's marauding around the pitch, dominating the ball, off and on the ball, but also somehow making his late runs and, you know, he almost scores an overhead kick, for goodness sake, uh, at one point. So... I think that's really interesting because I did see quite a lot of Bayern fans like you know I, was, I, was, I go on the Reddit forum quite a lot just to kind of see what the kind of pick up the temperature of the Bayern fans and our subscribers as well talking in our chat as well saying you know this that that partnership worked so well you have to question whether it actually makes sense to bring Kimmich back into the team and take Limer out yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm not sure if I go quite that far. I totally agree with everything you said and we said earlier that, that that this is where the game was won and lost. Bayern's Bayern's mid, midfield being uh, the leagues above uh, that of Borussia Dortmund. If I can just flesh out uh, a little an argument that, that Seb made or a point that he made after the game with a bit of evidence, I suppose he talked about how this he thought it was the, the first time that um, he'd seen Kane operating in proper chemistry. Um, with proper automatisms uh, in this Bayern team, like a, a, a really, really well drilled and well trained and well gelled 
unit. One example of that would be that each time Kane did drop back into that midfield uh, or even deeper role to pick up balls, Goretzka would immediately replace him in the number nine position effectively. That's how flexible he was. So I thought that was uh, yeah, I thought that was really good to see. Um Musiala and uh Coman did it, it did it on occasion as well. Um Coman perhaps being slightly forgotten in his performance, but he did a, he did notch another another assist and um when I was speaking to Obamacano, I think he was sticking up for his uh, for his French colleague, so it was um, a bit of a yeah, a bit of French solidarity. But he he made the point to me as well, saying, oh, "Don't forget Kingsley today as well. He played really, really well. Uh, like, he didn't he didn't get a goal, but he's doing well. So yeah, I think that was a, that was a fair point. And um, <clears throat> yeah, but whether I'd go so far to say um, Kimmich has a battle to regain his place midfield, I'm not quite sure about that. As well as Conrad Lima did play, I'm um, I think Conrad Lima is an absolutely valuable and solid squad player. For Bayern Munich, um, I remember the last time that I was in Munich. Admittedly, I wasn't there in the work capacity. I was watching. Uh, I was watching United get absolutely torn apart by them. Um, and uh, yeah, it was Conrad Lima doing the business down the down, down the wing, which probably says more about United's lack of pace than Conrad Lima. But it, that just shows how how versatile Lima is. And uh, I think that's I think, I think I think that's important. And he, he, again, take nothing away from him uh, on Saturday. He did have a very, very good game, and the fact that he can fill in it uh, at the fullback position as well is is also important. So, um, but yeah, n- not not quite sure if he's keeping Kimmich out of the team just yet, but not a bad option to have. Yeah, absolutely. He has been such a good utility player. I was doing some TV work post match the game, and they asked me about Limer, and I kind of said, like, aside from maybe Harry Kane and Leroy Sane, I think he'd probably be Thomas Tuchel's pick for Bayern Player of the Season right now, just because of the yeah. way he's filled in for that team in so many ways, and. Absolutely really? vi- vi- vital for any squad, I think, and that's, yeah. that's take take nothing away from it. Absolutely vital. The last of the major sports leagues is off and rolling, and college basketball is ready to go as well. Bet Online remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL are all in full swing. Bet Online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the hoops betting action, along with every sport available at your fingertips, with both desktop and mobile access at any time. Head to Bet Online today and remember to use our promo code Believe B L E A V for your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Anyway, that's probably enough time on that game. Um, and for the sake of Dortmund fans everywhere, we should probably move on to uh, another team who performed just as poorly if not worse uh, Matt and let's, let's, let's dive into RB Leipzig right now because they lose 2-0 uh, at the weekend to Mainz a Mainz side who uh, had very recently uh, departed with Bo Svensson head coach who'd, who'd resigned early last week um, I didn't get a chance to watch this game from the match reports I have read of it uh, it didn't sound like it was a classic um, <laughs> an extremely entertaining 90 minutes of football from the stats I can see um, it was a kind of um, it was a match in which Mainz just about did enough to win this game against the poor Leipzig side but it wasn't just a one-off result because of course Leipzig get knocked out of the pole cal a few days before this and you know it's unfortunate that this kind of all gets kind of contextualised around Bayern beating Dortmund because then people start kind of grasping for who's the who can be challengers and it doesn't help the Leipzig losing on the same day. Um, but you know that's two defeats there for Leipzig in a row. What do you think has gone wrong there? And 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 look, if you think it's just a one-off, of course you can say that and say let's not get carried away. But it felt like uh it felt like a very kind of um, well, it was a poor performance, no doubt about it, but it felt just so lacklustre. Yeah, they certainly lost away a little bit in the past week. Um, obviously, having having won the cup two years in a row, the last thing they would be expecting would be to um to be to be knocked out in the second round away at Wolfsburg. Um, and um, yeah, away at away at Mites on Saturday, there were a lot of changes as well. And I wonder if it was, I, I wonder if the very fact that Michael Hoser made uh, made a few changes particularly Baumgartner starting him there in, in, in place of uh, in place of Werner um, whether that sort of exposed just how big the wholesale changes were in the squad in summer I think we were all full of praise for Rosa and how how he'd 
um, yeah, managed to compensate for some high-profile departures and um, yeah, and, and, and really bed in some of his some of his new starters, particularly Xavi Simons and um, and um, Openda, obviously as well. Um, but of course, now it seems that once you do start making a couple of changes to that, perhaps they're not quite yet as bedded in as uh, as perhaps we'd all we'd all assumed. And I don't think that's a I don't think that's a massive criticism either, given how many, you know, given the the, the, the caliber and the profile of players that they lost. However, um, yeah, they they were unusually blunt and sloppy going forward against Mainz. Not helped obviously by the fact that Mainz, and again, totally understandably, I think, um, set up in one of the most defensive postures which I've seen of any Bundesliga team this season. Um, and obviously that has. That has a lot to do with their own circumstances at the moment, and we'll get onto them in, a, I think, afterwards with the departure, well, with the um, stepping down, the voluntary step, stepping down of uh, of of, of Bo Svensson. Um, but RB struggled to break them down. I can only really recall um, a, a couple of half-hearted Xavi Simons' efforts in the in the first half. Or, um, um, Openda was dragged out wide, probably far more often than he would have than, than, than he would have liked. Um, I thought Campbell, who took over the armband for this game, was a bit of, uh, was a bit anonymous. Perhaps that was a little bit. Uh, maybe he didn't deal with the responsibility as well as he could. Zava Schlager, on the other hand, was probably still Abby's best player. Um, typically combative and aggressive presence in midfield. Um, and again, I think sort of similar to um to 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 Leimer, Actually, I'm not just saying because they're both Austrian. But um, they, yeah, they 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 play such a sort of stabilising and like combative role in their respective midfields. Um, but they don't necessarily offer um the creativity going forward. Um, which perhaps yeah, the likes of an Emil Forsberg or previously a Dominic Schoberschlei um would have offered. Um, so yeah, difficult day out for um for for RB. Um, I, I would temper it a little bit. Uh, I think. There's no getting away around the fact that it's obviously a bad week. I think that's results speak for themselves. Um, but I I was struck by a line in the kicker match report about this game, where they I had to read it twice and three times just to make sure I understood it. When they said, "Yeah, this uh, you know, just like in previous years, it's another bad defeat against Mainz, and this time it's left them eight points off the top and once again out of the title race." I thought, I mean, it's twenty four games to go, yeah. And you know, they're, eight, they're, they're eight points behind Bayer Leverkusen. They're six points behind Bayern Munich. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write them off um, just yet, as much as it's obviously been a bad week. Yeah, it, it seems a little preemptive to you know start um, chiseling Bayern Munich's name into the league title um, just yet, even if it's more than likely, as often the case in German football. Um, I thought really interesting thing. From this, and you're absolutely right. I completely agree with your kind of breakdown of the game. Was um, you know Schlager after the match saying, "Look, that's two games in a row we've now played where we've struggled to beat down, beat down, beat a defensive side, you know, a very kind of defensive, kind of you know, rigid backline, or, or I guess you could say like two banks of um, you know four, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And I think that's a really interesting kind of admission from him because. I mean, if you look at that kind of lineup that Leipzig put out like, in the Mainz game, um, you could argue there's only three attacking players in that entire starting eleven. You know, you've also got Penda, Baumgartner, and Javi Simmons, but then it's a front, it's a three-four-three, three, and they've got the the four is obviously David Raum and, and Benjamin Henricks, who look, of course, the very good fullbacks, wingbacks, if if you will, and they've been picking up assists and goals this season. But at the end of the day, they're still defenders, and then obviously Schlager and, and Kevin Campbell are both. You know, I'd say Campbell's more of a kind of holding number six, and Schlager's obviously a bit, maybe a bit more of a kind of ball winner who can also play as a you know deep line player as well. Uh, and of course, three central defenders. And I completely agree with you. It, it felt very much like a game in which we did see um, how Leipzig may struggle without the players that they have moved on because you can completely understand why a Dominic Schobis line in the middle of the park made a difference. Uh, you can completely understand why Christopher Nkunku would have been so crucial in a in this mm. kind of game where space yeah. in the Even opposing so, box yeah. is so yeah. is so small. But also, um, Josco Guardiol, who you know, obviously a defender, but he played such a good 
playmaking role in this in this in this mm-hmm. Leipzig side, and he was so good at kind of um, you know breaking the lines with really smart passes up to the front line, and so it's almost like back almost through the entire team they were missing people who could unlock stubborn defenses, which clearly wasn't the case in this game. And I mean, it's a good thing and a bad thing, but I'm really struck by just how quickly Xavi Simmons has become the main man in this Leipzig team. You know. It's it's maybe not a bad thing because he's obviously such an outstanding player and from week to week he seems to be adamantly determined to do everything he can while he's at Leipzig and even in this game, you know, um he had came very close to scoring a couple of times, but it maybe says a lot about just how thin the margins were between Leipzig um just starting this season in utter chaos because if they hadn't managed to pick him up and you then factor in the fact that Danny Danny almost now out as well. You're really struggling to see where anything at all, really, in terms of creative output in this team is coming from. And that's obviously Absolutely. something. They're, 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 the, they're the three key absences, aren't they? Obviously, um, Shobislai and Dukuku having moved on, and Almo being injured. It's 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 a massive, massive hole in there. And then you like the reliance on the Javi Simons, who as outstanding as he's been this uh, so far this season, you probably can't put it all on him. Um, but then to an extent, I also think. Yeah, everything is all. It's always a bit of a knife edge with Red Bull, isn't it? And I think maybe that's a bit of a. If you take into context the the bigger picture, it's almost the nature of the beast. Um, and I think in previous seasons you can look back on a reliance on Timo Werner. I think perhaps before the, the before the, the Chelsea intermezzo, and then in, in in subsequent years of reliance on the genius of Nkunku. Uh, again, players who've moved on, or perhaps in the first season, how brilliant Naby Keita was. Again, then moved on. Um, this is very much the nature of the beast. I think um, the they yeah the, the, these players are they're built, developed, and brought through and put in the starting lineup. And it seems to be that ultimately have to put them into the shop window and then move them on and then bring through the next batch. Um, yeah, the latest of which we're now seeing. Um, but yeah, which inevitably leads to quite a lot of responsibility being put on the shoulders of relatively young and inexperienced players. Um, and when it comes off, it's fantastic. When it, it, it was fantastic football, and it's exhilarating. Um, but when it when it doesn't, it exposes some of the gaps in the in the in the yeah in the system. And I think that was the case. That was the case this week, especially. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, they do have a kind of tricky win, run coming up. They've got a relatively straightforward fixture in the Champions League this week, which we would expect them to win and just about. Um, you know, cement their spot in the last sixteen. But they are then, they are away though, aren't they? It's in Belgrade, yeah. which um, I mean, it's absolutely from personal experience, not a not an easy place to go. Surely, <laughs> fair point. Yeah, fair point. Absolutely fair point. Um, I was going to make note of the fact that they then have Freiburg and Wolfsburg coming up after that, which are obviously no pushovers. Um, even if Freiburg did their very best to look like pushovers this weekend, um, and then they have Manchester City in the Champions League, so. You know, it it'll be, it will be interesting to see how Rosa kind of deals with this. You know, I think on the whole, he's done a really good job at Leipzig. I think, uh, you know, look, he's very comfortable there. He knows how the system works. He's probably the best man for the job in terms of dealing with a high turnover of players and, you know, and and also um, integrating the players that arrive from their other kind of um, the sister clubs or um, feeder clubs, if you will. Um, but from match day to match day, that's kind of where he earns his wages, isn't it? He has to kind of figure out a way that, like, I basically lost my three main playmakers and goal scorers in, in, in Kunku, Shobis Line, and, of course, Daniel Mo injured. And if he can figure out a way to kind of get more kind of attacking intent into that team and rather than just relying on Javi Simmons to perform miracles week in, week out, then we could see them drop quite a lot more points against Freiburg and Wolfsburg coming up. Yeah, nevertheless, I wouldn't be... I, I wouldn't be writing them off with so long to go and particularly with them out of the cup now um, I think uh, that's a yeah, a, a slight distraction perhaps out of the way um, and yeah um, I'd, I'd agree with I'd agree with you regarding Michael Rosa I think um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be worrying too much despite it being a bad week yeah well let's wrap things up with one final team um, do you want to just touch on about... Mainz briefly given, sorry of given, course I think of that's course. probably worth a mention um, it's quite a Difficult week for them. Bo Svensson stepped down, didn't he? Um, voluntarily after the cup defeat away at Hertha. Um, by all accounts, he. Um, I was listening to Christian Christian Heidel, the the director of sport, and he said that you know, the the text message was sent by Svensson to 
to him and uh, sporting director Martin Schmidt in Berlin that night, and they sat. They apparently they spent quite a few hours in Svensson's hotel room in Berlin before making the decision. And um, if anyone, yeah, if anyone wants to, if you have a look at the 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 video message that Svensson recorded on Mainz's official media channels, you can find it on YouTube and whatnot. It's very very emotional. Um, he just he said that apparently it wasn't the first time that he'd suggested internally that he just couldn't see how he was going to start you know keep 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 up providing these impulses for the team. Um, and apparently this time there was no more convincing him. Um, and yeah, very emotional. Yeah, video two minute message that he that that he that he published in addressing the Mainz fans. Um, and yeah, on on match day there was a lot of support. And the chance, chance of both Svensson's name. I think after the game, Jan Sievert, who has stepped up as interim coach from the uh, from the second team and took took charge, he dedicated the the, the win to Svensson. Said it wasn't his win; it was both Svensson's win. Um, and yeah, some yeah very understanding comments as well from the general yeah from the general Mainz, um yeah landscape uh, around the club um, and. Yeah, I think it's very. I just think it's quite typical of the way Mainz operate as a as a club. I thought it's quite quite refreshing. Um, I think there's a lot of respect for Svensson's decision, um, understanding, and they're still standing behind him. Heidel even said that you know I'm sure we'll see both Svensson coaching in the Bundesliga, maybe even back with us in Mainz. That's I think that's the sort of club they are. Um, and I thought that was uh, quite refreshing to see. Also, quite um, a quite nice touch the, the the way they won the game, particularly in the the way they finally came out their shell a little bit in the second half, having been so defensive in the first half with five at the back. They came out a bit second half, and yeah, scored particularly the first goal where um, Karim uh, Odisiwa was broken down the uh, broken down the right and crossed. Very very Bosvenson goal. Um, so I think. Jan Sievert has probably got a point when he said he didn't have to change that much. Um, I think we said a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Knights, they weren't, weren't necessarily playing that bad. Um, and yeah, they uh, this was very much a Bosvenson team, which uh, which got a good result, uh, despite the fact that Bosvenson had, uh, had, had stepped down. So I think, yeah, uh, quite a refreshing way to go about things in Knights, uh, as, as always, uh, I think they're a good club. Yeah, absolutely. I had to pleasure of interviewing both friends a few times and he's a very nice guy very very modest because it's last time i spoke to him it shows how think how quickly things change it must have been start of last season when he was being linked with a number of jobs in the premier league because you know uh he'd got minds flying up the table um and you know and even then he was very modest he's like look this isn't this isn't because of me it's because the players and etc etc and they have had a very roller coaster couple of years under him where and that's just the nature of mine, I suppose. But, um, you know, it's worth mentioning as well that Manu did write a blurb on Mainz in our uh, Monday Bulletin newsletter and talked about Jan Sievert possibly being uh, a potential long-term replacement to Bo Svensson. So I think that'll be definitely an interesting one to um, to keep an eye on and to see whether, you know, that performance was just a case of the players realising that they had to put in a bit more effort for the sake of both fencing kind of falling on his sword or whether uh, that kind of change in management will actually make a difference long term but yeah, it's uh, interesting I think um, after the fact it wasn't I think it wasn't quite the assist oh no it was yeah from, from on the CEO he, he said that he, he intends to go for a coffee at some point with Svensson in the coming in the coming <laughs> week um, I mean that's how that's how close they all are and I think he, he owes a lot of his yeah, I mean, he's been a key player for Mainz in recent years. Um, interesting too, I hadn't actually realised it until this morning, he's actually stepped down from the Austrian national team, hasn't he? Um, Callum on the sea well. Um, really, really, really. Yeah, decided to, he reckons he's too old and his, his body can't handle the, can't handle the, 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 the rhythm, the week-to-week rhythm anymore and he, he needs the, he needs the international breaks off and apparently that has been done, um, yeah, um, in, in, in agreement with uh, Ralf Ranić. And so yeah, that was a little interesting side to him, but really, really, yeah, really good run down the right and good cross for the goal. Typical, typical nights, really. Yeah, it was one of those kind of. I think it was the first goal that was very much one of those kind of great counter attacks where yeah, really Simic good can, heading as well. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I you could argue that both Lukeba, uh, Lukebo, and uh, Simikan are both maybe not making the strongest effort to get back into place and. Yeah. 
ultimately Sivikan kind of gets caught completely under the ball I think he actually slips at one point as well but great counter attack and goal and great scenes to see that for, for the Mainz fans um, but I do kind of want to move on to Leverkusen briefly Matt, before we wrap things up just because I know we talked about him last week um, but Hoffenheim they travelled to Hoffenheim uh, the weekend uh, they went 2-0 up at half time uh, disaster struck in the second half uh, two goals in two minutes from Hoffenheim but Xavi Alonso's side still managed to kind of pull the rabbit out of the hat here um, and stay top of the table pick up three points we both watched this game so it's probably worth us just kind of breaking down what happened what we thought of the performance and you know people like like we said about live stakes maybe not fair to contextualise all this after what Terra Living Games but people will be looking at what happened to Dortmund at the weekend and then for neutrals of the league they'll be placing all their chips on Leverkusen at this point I suppose yeah um, I mean there's two there seems to be two schools of thought coming out of this obviously Hoffenheim 2 Leverkusen 3 and just to go through it quickly Hoffenheim Leverkusen go 2-0 up in the first half really really dominant and it's just you think it's same old, same old. Fantastic combinations between uh, Victor Boniface and Florian Wirtz. Um, and another another fantastic finish from Alejandro um, Grimaldo. Um, and you're thinking, yeah, this is uh, Leverkusen strolling to another big win. Um, but then within yeah, within about five, six minutes of the second half, uh, they've conceded two. A shocking Lucas Fredeschi Fed- uh, error. Um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, suddenly it's and then, yeah, then uh, an error on the ball from Granit Xhaka as well, which leads to, to uh, uh, so, yeah, suddenly it's 2-2. Two, two. And you're thinking, hmm, okay, that's, this is very, very un-Leverkusen. And we've not seen them before. And it's this, yeah along with the set-piece weakness, which we discussed about in recent weeks. There's another issue that they have. Maybe they're not quite the, the finished product that we all thought they were, and they've collapsed a bit here. Um, however, yeah, um, another Grimaldo effort later in the second half. They've, you know, they've, they've, they've regrouped and, uh, and and managed to get um, a really important win. So which way do you read it? Do you read it as proof that Leverkusen are nowhere near the finished product yet? Still lots of things to work on. Or do you read it as yet another quality, yet another string to Leverkusen's bow? Even when they're yeah, even when they're struggling, they've recovered from setbacks. So, but yeah, how 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 do you read it, Stefan? So, I'm tempted to give Leverkusen the credit here, just because I thought they were completely dominant in the first half for the most part, um, and you know they went in at half time, and I was th- I did think. You know, this is a really professional performance. They've come up against a very good Hoffenheim team and they've managed to really pick them apart. In particular, that Florian Vars goal in the first half, which... It's really, it's really, really good. I know we share this every week, goals goals involving Florian Wirtz being really good. But yeah, just, just watch it. He's so good. Yeah, I know. And I kind of... Um, un- I admittedly performed the cardinal sin of comparing him to Lionel Messi in the newsletter <laughs> on Monday... Um, just in the sense that that's that fla- wonderful that's flattering, way... that's flattering messy that yeah well exactly you know <laughs> it was and it was just the way he glides by players and does those quick one twos and you know Boniface in particular was just the two just have such a great kind of chemistry with one another but I mean it's the second time in as many weeks we've seen Verts just p- pick out or just I mean the goal he scored last weekend was maybe a bit more individual but the way that he just able is able to find space in the box where other players just can't even you know comprehend it. That's what makes me think of Lionel Messi. But I'm not really saying Florian Wirtz is like Lionel Messi, so I don't really think that's fair on anyone. But the way that he's able to play those one twos and the way that he was able to kind of jink by defenders and the goal he scored last week, it's very reminiscent of players like Messi in that regard. And you know. I wrote about him actually for the Monday newsletter and how he's actually averaging like 1.36 goals and assists per 90 minutes, which is just bonkers and, you know, 66 minutes per goal or assist in all competitions. His numbers are just crazy at the moment. They're just absolutely crazy. Um, And you could argue that he's maybe the difference um, between Leverkusen dropping points and being maybe third or fourth right now and still being top. But I think people might look at this game and think, oh, well, you know, Leverkusen just squeezed by by, you know, skin of their teeth or whatever. But I think if you actually look at the nature in which Hoffenheim scored those goals, one was obviously a complete mistake from um, um, from Herdeke, and the other one was just a remarkable shot. I can't remember who actually hit the shot and it hit off the post, but 
you know, it's a long Ma- range Ma- Ma- shot. Max Bayer, obviously. He's a, oh, sorry, of course yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. He's obviously making a bit of a habit of that this season, yeah, isn't having he? A fan, having um, a fantastic season. Um, and then obviously Vekhorst taps home uh, the easiest goal they'll score all season. I felt like those two goals were a little out of character of how the game was going on the whole. And then, you know, as we talked about actually in terms of how Leverkusen responded in that Bayern game, they did much the same in this game where Grimaldo eventually, who's been outstanding this season, he's been so, so good, uh, scores an excellent goal when he links up with Boniface as well. So I am tempted to kind of say Leverkusen had this game done and dusted, disaster struck. And then again, they showed that capacity to just kind of get their heads down and and, and pick up the result. And I think that's something that has been obviously missing from Leipzig. It's something that um, Dortmund weren't really capable of, obviously, against Bayern Munich. Um, And, you know, I think it's all good news for Leverkusen. The only thing that makes me kind of wonder how far this Leverkusen team can go right now is that they haven't yet been struck down by any big injuries you know, we talked about how Leipzig are struggling with Daniel well, they're, missing. I mean, they're, they're still they're still missing Patrick Schick. Um, yeah, but which is they've, but they've, I mean, they've, they've actually, learned to live him like twelve ex- months ex- ago. Exactly, it's an absent it's an absentee <laughs> which I'd actually I actually forgotten about, but he was meant to com- the commentator. There's no uh, disrespect to Patrick Schick, but the commentator mentioned him in the in the uh, Leverkusen Hoffenheim game and said, yeah, um, I think he said that um, Victor Boniface was really stamping his mark on the starting eleven in place of Patrick Schick. I sort of thought, <laughs> I've completely forgotten that Patrick Schick was there. I mean, this is Boni- this is Victor Boniface's world. Um, yeah. So, oh, absolutely. He's been out for so long. So, yeah. yeah. And it's worth mentioning that he did come back and picked up another injury uh, last yeah, week. Yeah. So it's a real shame and it looks like he's going to be for a long time, unfortunately. He's just having a horrible time and you hope shame. he gets back soon. But, if you look at that starting eleven uh, that Leverkusen put out um, against Hoffenheim, you got Herdecki who hasn't missed a minute of football in the Bundesliga. You've got Kosanu who's only missed maybe one game, I think, or uh, didn't or didn't play the full ninety. Jonathan Ta hasn't missed a minute. Uh, Tapsoba hasn't missed a minute. Grimaldo and Frimpong both played ever present. Chaka ever present. Palacios has only missed one half of football in the Bundesliga so far this season. Hoffman's played the full-time, Boniface has played the full-time, and Flory Vars only missed one game. I think he was uh, benched after the Europa League game a few weeks ago and then came on and did tremendously well. I think that was a Wolfsburg game. So, long story short, Xabi Alonso has basically been able to play the exact same starting eleven from match day one to where we are now. And the only way I can really see this Leverkusen team beginning to falter is one of these key players picks up a big injury or you know a Hoffman a Florian Verts a Boniface just completely go off form and there's not really someone in there to to step in for them absolutely um, yeah a long way to go and that could still that could still come back to bite them particularly because they're still looking good to progress in the in the Europa League and obviously they, they got as far as the semis last season so I'm sure Xavier Alonso will have his eye on that as well to an extent they've progressed in the cup as well um, I had a Cologne fan text me over the weekend saying, like, oh, for God's sake, we're going to get relegated. Leverkusen are going to win the treble, aren't they? <laughs> I don't know, maybe that says something more about the de- the depressive attitude in Cologne these days. Than, but, but yeah, Leverkusen do have that uh, really, really busy schedule to come all season. And yeah, like you said, be interested to see how Javelonzo deals with any potential injury setback. Not that, I, not that we... Um, would wish that on any of the players or on or, or on uh, on Alonso and his squad, but it, it it happens. I think one last little point I'd like to make. Oh, actually, first thought on Alonso, uh, maybe just an aside, but um, Javier Alonso speaks very good German. For someone who's not been in the country that long, um, clearly making rapid progress. He's 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 been doing his press conferences in very 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 broken German since day one. It's actually quite frustrating with all due respect to listen to him, but he's been trying. But I was listening to some of his comments uh, to various media outlets um, after Saturday's game, and he's yeah, he's now at the point where he's very yeah, yeah, holding very competent and yeah, good com- uh, conversations with interviewers, um, yeah, in uh, in absolutely acceptable German. So I think a nice little aside that shows yeah, I think probably shows a lot about the mentality of the man, and yeah, clearly uh, quite a quite an, an intelligent operator. Um, and similarly on um, interviews and maturity, uh, another side to Florian Wirtz. Um, we all know how 
we talked about how brilliant he is as a player on the pitch, but I actually I was listening to an interview with him yesterday. Um, where it was the first time I really listened to him speak um, so much, really. I don't think he does that many interviews, or maybe I've just missed them. Um, and I thought, is as yeah, really mature analysis. He, sp- he spoke really clearly about those sort of 10, 15 minutes after half time where he said that we clearly lost our grip on the opponents, and he was referring to how the, um, the, the, the distances between Leverkusen defenders and Hoffenheim attackers um, had got noticed, or what he thought was noticeably bigger, uh, which you know, suddenly gave Hoffenheim a little bit more space. So I thought it was interesting that he, yeah, um, at such a relatively young age that he, he notices that, he, he articulates that, and he's, he's, yeah, I thought it was a really mature uh, post-match analysis from Florian Wirtz as well. So, um, yeah, really... Re- yeah, some some really interesting developments around Leverkusen. Yeah, I've definitely got the impression from speaking to people at the club that he has his head kind of screwed on properly, which, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but there are countless examples of players as talented or promised to shine as bright as him one day that do get kind of led astray. And it seems as though he's very kind of level-headed. His dad seems to help him make his business decisions and his career decisions. And, you know, he's not... He, he, he certainly wasn't one chomping the bit to move to uh, Barcelona or Real Madrid as soon as he started playing well for Leverkusen. He seems to be taking his time in his development, so that's only good news for Leverkusen and the German national team, I would say. Um, but yeah, Alonso's an interesting one too, actually. I, me- I do remember when he was at Bayern Munich as a player, the club made a big deal about him le- learning German. Um, I think mm. it was him and Xavi Martinez, and you know, you saw these press releases about the two of them sitting in a class, doing their German classes, and you kind of roll your eyes thinking, yes, okay, Bayern, we get it, you know. <laughs> Everyone has to speak German. It's very typical German football. Only industry in Germany, it seems, where they demand that everyone speaks German anymore. But that's true, um, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I wonder. I just, I do just wonder whether um, this is him just getting back up to speed after also forgetting about it for far, four or five years when he went back to Spain, mm-hmm. uh, or if he has been kind of um, sticking with it and when he was out of the country, but. Um, I'll I'll actually be at uh, Leverkusen's next game. I'm off to see them against Union Berlin on Sunday. So ah well, we can, we, we can do the podcast together then, can't we? I'll, I'll be there. As yeah, well. we can. So and we'll keep, keep this whole piece be practicing his English as well, and then you can um, pick up on my thick Scottish accent. He definitely won't. <laughs> definitely won't be able to understand you. No chance. <laughs> I'm struggling right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it'll be a test for him. Maybe the biggest test he's had this season. Um, but that's probably a good place to wrap things up, Matt, as we tick over the hour mark. Um, as always, a big thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I know Manu does this week to week to see what social media you're using at the moment, but just anything you want to plug, uh, feel free to go and do so now. Um, no, nothing massive. Just, I mean, if, you, if anyone's interested for, I suppose, even, even more, uh, Dortmund Bayern content. Um, my my piece from from Saturday is is on my on my social media channels on Twitter and Blue Sky. Um, I've based it around my, my chat with uh, Dio Pamacano. Um, came across as a really, really nice lad, really friendly. Um, I think it I think it obviously helped. I, I don't know how well he speaks um, English or German, but we did the interview in French and. Uh, uh, he seemed a lot more comfortable with that, and he, yeah, he, he came across like he came across, yeah, made a very friendly impression, and um, yeah, some, yeah, some, 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 some good comments about about the game. So I, I've based my piece around that, and um, I also seem to have upset some uh, some Newcastle fans because of um, well, I mean, it's not me that said it, but by all accounts, Borussia Dortmund's travelling support didn't have the best impression of Newcastle, so. That's that's something again. Don't shoot the messenger. I I like Newcastle as, as a city personally. Spent a lot of time up there in the past. I think it's great. Yeah, well there we go. So don't How shoot should the make messenger. Friends with alienate people. The Matt Ford story. <laughs> <laughs> make friends with Meccano, but uh, distance uh, this this distance distance yourself from the entire fan base. I'm sure as a Man United <laughs> fan, you won't lose much sleep over it. I'll survive. Um, yeah, you'll survive, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, that's all we have time for. As always, this show is in association with Bet Online. Uh, and yeah, until next time, thanks very much, and we'll speak to you guys soon. Cheers.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.